Well, the part of the Super Bowl I wanted to see is already over. Reba singing the national anthem. I didn't see it. I'll have to go back and watch a video. So in other words, I've got all night. But I'm not going to keep you long. Uh, you're just going to look at a few details back in 2 Peter chapter 1, wrap up a few details we didn't have time to cover this morning, and uh, let's just jump in and read the text, and then we'll go from there. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, in, or and abound you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to come back together tonight uh, to study your word again, to look at uh, just a few more details in this passage of Scripture. And Father, I pray that you'd allow us to be able to reflect back on the things we've studied today and to apply these to our lives in the days and the weeks ahead and I just pray that tonight you'd show us the message that you have for us as individuals. In Jesus' name, amen. So just to recap, uh, Peter is concerned. Uh, uh, well, I say concerned may not be the right word, but Peter is wanting his readers to ensure that they gain experiential knowledge of God. Remember, that is in, in verse 2, that word knowledge, that's what it means, experiential knowledge of God, the, that kind of knowledge you only gain by walking with him uh, each day of your life, by experiencing life uh, with God by your side, because if they can experience him, they can know what he's like, and they can distinguish the real from the fake as these fake teachers come in that he warns them about later in the letter, and uh, he wants them to be able to withstand those false teachings and that sort of thing, so uh, you know, he's sure to point out that when they first came to know God, from the very first moment they had this experiential knowledge of God, verse 3 says that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So in other words, he said he already gave you everything you need to live a godly life. But remember, as we said this morning, there's some assembly required. We had the Legos, and we talked about how you had to open it up and take the first Lego piece and add to it another Lego piece. And you had to add all those things up to get the Lego creation, but everything you needed was in the box. And that's what Peter is telling us 
here in what we just read, God's given us everything we need to live this life he's called us to live. I thought of another illustration that may help us picture this a little better. Brings it more to a, a human perspective rather than a Lego perspective. But, you know, we think about a, a little newborn baby. And from the very moment of conception, we believe the Bible teaches us that that baby had everything it needed to become what God intended it to be. We'd call that scientifically the DNA. And inside that DNA are all the instructions for as that baby is formed in the womb, as God knits that baby together, all the instructions are in that DNA to tell exactly what its hair color is going to be and, and uh, even possibly how some of its uh, personality may be, that sort of thing. That baby is then born. And we look at that baby, and it's 100% human. And they don't all look human, you know, immediately. I think, you know, but, but it's 100% human. There's nothing you have to add to that baby to make it any more human, right? It's not a Mr. Potato Head. That'd just be weird, wouldn't it? Brother Garrett, don't you agree? If our babies came into the world and we said, well, we think we'll put the arm over here or the leg over here. No, no, no. God's already put it all together. And there's nothing in the world that will make that baby any more human. And Peter says it's the same thing with us when, when we're saved. When we're saved, we're 100% saved. There's nothing that needs to be added to us to make us any more saved than we are at the moment of salvation. He's given us everything we need to be, to be a saved person, to be a Christian. But a baby does have to be nourished, right? We turn back over just a few pages in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and, and he talks like this. He says um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The baby needs to be nourished. The human baby needs to be nourished so that it can grow. And as spiritual beings, we need to nourish our spiritual nature so that it can grow. And we do that uh, through the Word of God. We, we nourish ourselves spiritually through the Word of God. As we, those, those babies uh, drink the milk, they, they receive the nourishment, and they grow stronger. And as we drink this milk, we become stronger in our walk with Jesus. And so back in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, you know, Peter's saying kind of the same thing, but he's using some different language. And he's calling out some specific character traits that God has given us at salvation, that they are there, that we have to work out. Just like uh, we, we looked at the, the verse from Philippians this morning where Paul says, work out your own salvation. These traits are on the inside. Now we got to work them to the outside. So back in first, I mean, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1, let's read these beginning with verse 5 again. Look at these characteristics. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, 
to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Those are the pieces that he says we need to put together in order to live the life that God's called us to live. Now, there's a couple things about the process I think we need to see first before we dig into the pieces. He says uh, there in verse 5, first of all, uh, he, he says that God expects more than minimal effort. You know, some people go through life and they just try to breeze through with as little, do as little as possible, right? I know uh, Brother Eric and I have joked before, we say it's the least I can do and I always do my least, you know? Some people, they ain't joking when they say that, right? Well, he says, giving all diligence. That phrase, all diligence, means maximum effort. It, Peter's saying that God expects us, as we put these pieces together that he's given us, he expects us to exert maximum effort in doing it. And it also uh, kind of denotes an eagerness. It's something that we ought to be wanting to do, something we ought to be excited to do. There ought to be a desire to do the things we're going to discuss in just a minute. Because he died for us, you know, the least we ought to be willing to do is live for him. He says we ought to be eager to do it. But there's another word here that we just read right over, but as I got to digging into this, blew my mind. Now bear with me for a minute, because this is where I kind of geek out on the Bible study just a little bit. Okay, we read this. He says, with all giving all diligence, add. Stop there. ADD, add. It's a mathematical term, right? Well, in the English, it is. That word add is a mathematical term. But you get to digging into this, and it's not a mathematical term. The Greek word here is epikorego which is the verb form of a word that means choir master. And you know, so you sit there saying, well, I can't sing a, you know, I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. I'm, I'm sunk, you know. No, listen, choir master. We read this and we say, what in the world does choir master? No, you're talking about literally singing, that kind of choir. What does that have to do with this? I can tell you, Peter's original audience knew exactly what he meant when he used that word, epikorego, because in those days, in the Greek culture, the dramas and the plays, well, that was the highlight of civic life. There were always, you know, these productions in the Greek amphitheaters and around, you know, that, that was the core of their uh, big part of their society, the, the social life, social aspect of it anyway. And every play, every drama had a big chorus, uh, hundreds of people sometimes that were the backbone of the play. Now, in some of your bigger towns, you'd have five, six, seven, eight different plays, dramas, whatever going on at one time. This is just an astronomical undertaking and a huge expense. And there were civic-minded, very wealthy people who would underwrite, who would fund an entire chorus for a play out of their own pocket because they enjoyed the arts so much. And it's really the only way these plays could go forward. Somebody had to pay 
the price, it took a lot of money to, 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 to fund, to equip, to produce these plays. And, you know, these people who funded these things, they cared about what people thought about them. Okay? A lot of times, the wealthier a person is, the more they care about what other people think. So they spared no expense when it came to funding these choruses. They needed it, they got it, and these people saw to it. They didn't do anything cheaply. They would lavishly pour out everything necessary for a, just a noble, a, just a grand performance. And so the word would later grow to also be used in later times to use about funding and equipping a, 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 an army with all the necessary provisions it needs for war. This simple word that loses most of its meaning, translated into the English here, means so much more than just add. What Peter is telling them, it, not only do they need to do it diligently, not only do they need to put forth maximum effort, but he's saying you spare no expense in putting together these virtues, these character traits that God has already instilled inside of you. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs you, you do it because it's worth it. He's worth it. So what does he expect us to put together so lavishly? Well, we see these character traits, and I don't want to go into uh, just uh, excruciating detail on each one of these because a lot of them are very self-explanatory. Of course, he's talking about the basis of it all is our faith. For by grace we're saved through faith. Our faith, the very, the very thing that saves us, our faith, and it culminates with love. That's the climax. So as we look at this list, it's building towards this ultimate character trait of love. And he says the first thing we add to our faith is virtue. If we want to live a life that's pleasing to God, if we want to grow spiritually, we seek to live a life of virtue. Virtue, virtue is excellence in character. It's integrity. It means you say what you mean, you're true to your word, you're the same person in private that you are in public. People trust you. Excellence in character. That ought to be an outflow of our faith in Jesus. And then the next thing, what we add on to that is knowledge. Now here's where we need to stop for a second because this is not epigenosis as is in verse 2. Verse 2, the word knowledge is epigenosis, that experiential knowledge. This word knowledge is just regular gnosis, okay? It doesn't have epi on the front of it. That epi is what means experiential. This is just knowledge. This is learned knowledge. This is book knowledge. This is the type of knowledge that we receive when we read the Word of God. We read the Bible and, and we learn here. This is the kind of knowledge we receive by hearing preaching or teaching. This is the kind of knowledge we read as we may pick up other books. I think it's important for Christians to read books by Christian authors. Some people say, all you need is the Bible. The Bible is sufficient. 
But we need stuff explained to us, right? And I think it's good to find good books by good Christian authors that help explain to us some of these issues that the Bible is laying out. You may listen to podcasts of other preaching. I like doing that. That's where we, the, all these areas and more, that's the type of knowledge we're talking about. The content of what is known. Because we cannot live out the commands of Scripture if we don't know what they are. And if we don't understand what they mean. And so that's what he's talking about there. We add to our faith virtue. We add to our virtue knowledge. And then as we add this knowledge, we begin to understand what the commands of Scriptures are. We begin to understand what they mean. He says that ought to bring about self-control. Now, we understand what self-control is, right? I mean, one, one commentator says it's holding oneself in. But it ought to bring about self-control. And then that self-control brings about perseverance. Now, at its most basic level, perseverance is patience. It's endurance and doing the right thing. So, you know, we, we've got the self-control. Now we add on to the self-control patience. I can control myself, but can I do it for a little longer, you know? William Barclay says that in this context and in this form, that the Greek word that's translated perseverance is presented here, he says there's a forward look to it. This is not just I'm waiting with nowhere to go. This is I am waiting, I am being patient while I look forward to where I'm moving to. It points to scriptures like Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 which says, therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. If you're running, you generally moving forward, aren't you? Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher, finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Perseverance. It's patience. But it's patience that's looking towards that ultimate goal, looking towards Jesus. And as we gain that, that perseverance, it leads to what you might say is maybe the, the penultimate, godliness. Godliness just simply means, according to the commentators that, that I was looking at, it says it just means it's a love for God. Godliness points to we've come to the point where we're truly worshiping. It's not passive. We're truly worshiping. We have, we completely understand that love we're supposed to have for God and then that leads to the next one, brotherly kindness, loving others. Isn't that interesting? Love God, love others. It's almost like Peter was listening in Matthew chapter 22 when this happened. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. 
And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. No doubt Peter was, Peter was probably in the vicinity when Jesus was having this conversation. And Peter's sitting back here writing to these uh, people, and, and he's writing to us, and he's saying, if you really want to live the life that God's called you to live, you do these things, and they lead to fulfilling the greatest commandments. Love God and love others. And, and that all culminates with that final admonition here uh, in verse 7. It says, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. That word love is agape. That's the sacrificial, the, the selfless love. So we get to this point where we have put all these character traits together and we come to realize that it's not about us. It's a selfless love. That when we are perfectly living the Christian life, which we none of us will ever do this side of heaven, we may have a little glimpse of it here and there and mess up again. But the penultimate Christian life is a selfless life. It's a life committed to serving God and a life committed to serving others. And Peter says these are the character traits that every Christian ought to strive to live out, and we will fail as we seek to do it. But we have no excuse not to try because he's given us everything we need. It says it right here. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We just have to be willing to put in the diligent work, make sacrifices when necessary to let these things shine out of our lives every single day. Is there anything before we go? You may get home in time to see Usher. 